This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Just as the internet enabled anyone with a computer to become an entrepreneur, today's newest technologies have spawned a do-it-yourself or DIY micromanufacturing movement. So anyone can be both inventor and a manufacturer. Wired editor Chris Anderson's new book, Makers, The New Industrial Revolution, recently spoke with Knowledge at Wharton about how technology is changing the limits of what inventors can do, what the maker movement is, why he started DIY drones, and how the new technologies will drive the global economy. Chris, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Wharton. We're thrilled to have an opportunity to talk with you about your new book, Makers. You open the book with a story of your maternal grandfather's automatic sprinkler system invention in the 1940s. You later argue that if he had been born in 1998 rather than 1898, he would have been an entrepreneur rather than just an inventor. What challenges did he face and what conditions have changed that would make his experience today so different? Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, th- that story kind of washed over me as I was writing the book. And I, I just kept casting my mind back to my summers with my grandfather and reflecting on his world and mine. Um, in those days, um, he was uh, he, he's a Swiss immigrant. Come to Hollywood, and you know, had, was in, worked in you know for a studio during the day, and was an inventor at night. And you know, he, he was quite skilled. He was a machinist. He had a workshop. He had metal lathes and all sorts of metalworking equipment, and really could do all that stuff. And so he was able to take his ideas from you know the mechanical drawing, drafting table to a prototype. Um, but then at that point, he didn't know what else to do. He didn't know how to bring it to market. And 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 and, to, and you know, most people, it was it was it was hard. You needed to have a you know a factory and you know distribution and you know all that all those other skills. And so he did what you had to do in those days, which was patent it, and then trying to find someone to license it to. Uh, he was lucky, and he he was uh, was able to find a company um, to license it to. And eventually, that company um, released the product as the. Uh, uh, as a you know, as a commercial um, product, which was very successful, and um, you know, our very small family fortune came out of that. But the point was that what it was that he was an inventor, but he could not become an entrepreneur because those additional steps of mass production, distribution, marketing, etc., were essentially inaccessible um, in those days. Um, all you had to do, all you could do, was patent, license, and hope for the best. You had to lose control of your invention. You had to hand it off to somebody else. And I think there was a, a you know, I, he was a happy man and one of the rare successful inventors of that era. But I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and so I didn't follow his path. I also didn't have his machining skills, so I really couldn't do that. Um, what, what happened when I, when I revisited that, that and thought, you know, I thought, thought experiment, what would Grandpa do today? I actually decided to do it. And um, although, although kind of ironically enough, I don't even have a garden, um, I decided to um, just, just as an exercise, um, figure out what a maker movement automatic sprinkler would be. And so talked to some folks and, you know, spent some time in communities, looked at some um, options, did a little research, and we ended up with something called Open Sprinkler, um, which is a web-connected Internet of Things, um, Arduino-based uh, sprinkler system where you can, you know, you can tap into, you know, free weather reports and not water today if it's going to rain tomorrow, add sensors, and you know, today it exists as a product. Um, and, you know, what's different is that, of course, 
Um, I didn't need any of his skills to make it because things are so much easier today. Um, I didn't need mass production because I didn't need to have my own factory because we have access to, you know, the factories in the cloud, um, basically just services that will do it for you. Um, and um, we didn't need marketing because we had community. We had the web. Uh, and so basically it's possible to go from inventor to entrepreneur quite easily today um, without special skills in a way that you couldn't, uh, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and you referenced this um, and sort of um, talking about that story, um, the maker movement. Um, they really have embodied um, the opportunities that the uh, digital revolution has given way to. What is the maker movement and what are the three characteristics that define it? I would say that the maker movement is, is, is fundamentally the web generation meets the real world. Um, it, is, it is all of the all of these sort of, um, you know, community and collaborative and, you know, innovation models of the web, but applied to physical things. Um, and there's, there's sort of, it, it, it's, there's a number of enabling elements. One of them is the fact that um, we now have um, desktop digital fabrication tools, which are cheap and easy and, um, and, and, and accessible. These are things like 3D printers, um, uh, others like laser cutters, CNC machines, um, uh, you know, if you buy a sewing machine from, you know, from Sears, or, you know, a relatively, you know, mid-range one, it's probably computer controlled. Um, it is basically what we call a CNC machine. Those used to be, those used to be sophisticated, you know, industrial tools, and they're now, they're now the sort of thing that you can, you can buy at Sears. Um, and so what that means is that the web generation, whose instinct is to start their ideas on screen, they now have an easy way to turn them into, into physical objects. So that you don't need skill, particular skills. The machine does all the work. You just treat it like a printer on your, on your desktop you know, increasingly. And it's getting increasingly easy to just, just push a button, and out it comes. Um, so those, so that, that, that's one step. Um, the second step is that the, um, the available, you know, the access to manufacturing, access to factories and mass production is now also increasingly easy. It's basically turned into a web service. And there's services like um, Alibaba, MFG.com, um, or even, um, you know, high-end 3D printing and laser cutting services like Shapeface and Sunoco. They're all just basically a click away. Um, you, those ideas that started on screen um, can just be uploaded into the cloud and produced at any scale. Um, you can make one or you can make you know, 10,000. Uh, it's simply a matter of, you know, of, of picking the right service, clicking the right buttons, and, you know, you enter your credit card. It's uh, a little bit like a photo printing, you know, the photo printing uh, software you have on your desktop. You can print a copy of your photo on your local printer, or you can upload it to a service and have it turned into books or, 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 or Christmas cards to, to send to your friends. Um, you know, that, it's almost as simple as that with, uh, with, with physical goods. Um, and the third thing that really defines this is the is the notion of community. Uh, the, one of the things that characterizes the, the web generation is that they, the instinct to do things in public, the instinct to share, um, the instinct to collaborate um, with people who you don't know, and that 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 instinct applied to physical physical things, to the invention and creation, and production of of, uh, of of things that need to be you know produced and um, and, and, and sold, is an innovation model that traditional manufacturing typically doesn't tap. But when you see the, you know, the web generation do it, and that's everything from Kickstarter and Etsy to more niche communities like, our, like the one I run, uh, focused on drones and uh, aerial robotics. When you see the power of that innovation model brought to traditional manufacturing and, and physical goods, you can see just how, how, how effective it can be in transforming 
um, you know, the real world the way we transform the digital world. And as you just mentioned, you yourself are a maker. In addition to printing furniture for your children's dollhouse, you started your own company, DIY Drones. Tell us what you what inspired you to start this business and what you hope to accomplish. Yeah, it was a, a perfect example of just, uh, you know, I have no business being in the drones business, yet here I am. Um, I started as a exercise in parenting gone so badly wrong. Um, uh, I'm always trying to get my kids interested in science and technology. And one weekend I brought home from my my day job as an editor and so we get these products in for review. And one day I brought in um, uh, home from the the office two boxes, which I thought would make a great uh, Geek Dad weekend. We started a site called Geek Dad, which is all about projects to to, to do with your kids to get them excited about science and technology. So one was one of the boxes was a Lego Mindstorms robotics kit, and the other box was a uh, remote control airplane. I thought on Saturday we'll build a robot, on Sunday we'll fly a plane. It's gonna be awesome. How can I go wrong? Well, the, you know, on Saturday we indeed did build the Lego robot, and I lo- I love Lego Mindstorms. It's actually on their advisory board for a while, and I'm, I, I just think it's the the best thing ever. Um, you know, it's super easy to use. We love Lego. Um, but, you know, at the end of the morning, you end up with a three-wheeled vehicle that basically goes forward until it sees the wall and then backs up. And the kids were just, like, incredibly unimpressed. They, you know, they'd just seen Transformers. Their expectations for robots are a little, a, little, a little higher than that. They kind of expect them to be three stories tall and, you know, fire missiles. And, um, you know, it's really hard to compete with uh, computer graphics. And Hollywood has kind of ruined robotics for children. Um, so, um, so that, so they were like, they were unimpressed and like, okay, that's fine. Well, tomorrow we'll fly a plane in the park and that'll be cool. And then we saw videos of acrobatics and anyway, we go to the park and it goes immediately into a tree. And then I, you know, mortifying the children, I get in the tree to try to retrieve it. So, so it just kind of, it was kind of a failure of a weekend. The kids were, the kids were, uh, you know, were hard to impress. I had sort of, you know, once again, you know, <laughs> been unable to excite them in science and technology, and I was kind of reflecting on the whole thing, and I thought, you know, how could I have gone wrong? This, this Lego Mindstorms came with these sensors, you know, these gyros and accelerometers and, and compass sensors, and that Bluetooth which you connect to, to GPS, and, you know, I bet the Lego could have flown that plane better than me. And I thought, huh, well, actually, maybe the Lego could have flown that plane better than me. And so I, I got the kids together one last time, and we made a, a, Le- a Lego autopilot. Um, and then worked on it a little bit and posted it on Slashdot, which was a big site in those, in, in those days. And um, anyway, I went round down the rabbit hole. Today, today that Lego uh, unmanned aero vehicle, that Lego UAV, is in the Lego Museum in Billund. Um, uh, it turns out that, by the way, that uh, autopilots are you know, regulated as munitions by the State Department. So I technically I weaponized Lego, and uh, or rather the point, my nine-year-old weaponized Lego, <laughs> and. Um, and um, you know, the kids then, of course, lost interest again because <laughs> probably because I got I, I got became so obsessive. But I just realized that the technology in your phone, in your iPhone or Android, um, the incredible you know innovations in sensors and and uh, GPS and wireless and cameras and processors and memory and all that um, meant that basically um, that you know an autopilot, a drone technology was in your pocket. It was really just an app away, um, and it was time for us regular folks to try to do it. So I created a community called DIY Drones and shared my ignorance, which, I, by the way, I knew nothing about this. Five years later, um, it's now a company, um, 3D Robotics, uh, you know, multi-million dollar robotics company with big factories in San Diego and uh, Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, we put more drones in the air each year than the whole U.S. military has in, in its arsenal. And, you know, and, and, and I'm just a guy. You know, five years ago, I was a dad messing around with Lego. And now I'm, you know, 
in the aerospace industry, um, you know, competing with some of the biggest, you know, companies out there. And that's all possible because the tools are, you know, the tools and technologies and supply chains are basically open and available to all. It's just the web's innovation model, you know, lowering the barriers to entry, um, you know, making it, you know, putting the tools of production in the hands of everybody applied to physical goods. So if, if I can do it, you know, and I mean, I cannot believe that I today, you know, my team runs, runs, you know, factories, but if I can do it, you know, when knowing so little about this subject matter, um, in just a few years, I felt, you know, anybody could. So to take a, 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 a different turn, um, throughout this election season, there's been a lot of talk about bringing manufacturing home to the U.S. and how to help small businesses thrive. The DIY maker movement or micro manufacturing movement has not come up in any of these discussions as, as far as we've heard in sort of the uh, broader media. What implications does this mo- movement have for the U.S. economy? Well, I think, you know, I, I subtitled the book the, uh, the New Industrial Revolution for a reason. I mean, I, I really do think that this has that this has the potential to move the needle for the American economy, that this is exactly, you know, what this country does best. It's small and medium-sized businesses. It's entrepreneurship. It's innovation. Um, you know, the, it's, it's the, the web model applied to a much bigger market, which is, you know, the real world. Um, you know, right now, uh, I would say the maker movement is about sort of five years old. It was, uh, the term was originally coined by um, Dale Doherty at O'Reilly. Um, but largely, you know, for, based on him observing what I, what I mentioned before, which is the web generation now had the tools to, to, uh, to start working in the real world. Um, you know, it is, um, you know, the, the, uh, I would say that the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the enabling tool, things like 3D printers, have just reached the moments where maybe the Macintosh was in 1984 or 1985, um, you know, where, where they're now, they just kind of work out of the box. You just buy a box plug it in and, you know, you can start printing just like that. It's, it's easy and accessible to anybody. Um, that, I think, and now I think the next step is probably to get them into schools, introduce design back into the, you know, the, into the school curriculum, digital design, um, and, you know, just, just spread the word. And I think when you look at the incredible success of sites like Kickstarter, you can see that it's starting to take off. Kickstarter's, you know, a billion-dollar enterprise at this point. Etsy's another billion-dollar enterprise. There's companies like Horky that are also you know, on, on that scale, um, they're starting to industrialize the maker movement um, you know, faster than I think people realize. Uh, there's a change of, of what's called maker spaces, like Tech Shop, which are now spreading um, around the country. There's, there's hundreds of maker spaces, um, um, probably in a city near you. Um, the U.S. government is, in fact, uh, sponsoring or uh, you know, backing this in two, in two distinct ways. One is um, that uh, the so-called Jobs Act um, has... Uh, uh, which the Obama administration pushed through is um, is uh, um, allowing for crowdfunding um, things like things like Kickstarter is actually a pre-sale, but uh, crowdfunding would also include things like uh, crowd uh, equity um, backing of these projects. And the second is um, you know with the uh, with DARPA, um, they're sponsoring the um, creation of uh, makerspaces in uh, thousands of American schools, which will be rolling out over time. So I think those are those are kind of the you know those are the evidence that there's. That the administration is behind this and, 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 and it's starting to happen. Um, you know, how would this how would this change the economy? I think you know, basically, the way I'm, first of all, manufacturing has never left the United States. We're still the biggest manufacturer in the world. What left was a lot of manufacturing jobs. Um, and the reason manufacturing stays in the United States is because it's increasingly automated, um, which is which is great. Um, but you know, that's just that's just the way you compete in a you know in a world where you don't have low cost labor. Um, but it isn't the roots of the middle class for millions of Americans the way it once was, and things like shop class and industrial arts have been no longer in the curriculum. I think the way to, to bring it back is to 
is to make it, you know, to, again, lower the barriers to entry, make it more accessible to the web generation. If all you need, you know, what was great about the web is all you needed was a laptop. You know, simply open a browser and you can start a company. And I think that's increasingly the case for, for, for physical goods as well. You can open a browser, uh, go to a site like Tinkercad, design something, press a couple buttons, and, you know, five days later, you've got a box with a thing in front of your desk. You don't need a single, you don't even need a 3D printer. Simply a matter of uh, just, um, you know, just, just um, uh, accessing the tools, accessing the, the technology that's in the cloud, the services that are in the cloud already. So I think that moment means that we have an opportunity to take, you know, possibly, you know millions of people out there with ideas and turn them into entrepreneurs, um, parts of communities that are collectively making things. Um, the long tail of stuff. Uh, we saw the long tail of my first book, and we saw we saw what you know um, putting the tools of production in the hands of everybody did in the digital realm with content and, and information and software. Uh, now we're, I think we're going to see the long tail play out in the physical realm. And you know when you think of what of the, all those markets of ten thousand, you know ten thousand products is too small for mass manufacturing, but too large for a single person, um, or it was too large for a single person. That's that, those are the long tail opportunities, and that's something that that, that we do really well. It wants it wants you know we've seen the rise of artisanal, um, you know we've seen the rise of sort of you know boutique um, in things like food and and, and clothing. Um, you know think about those same forces playing out in in physical goods. Be it you know what, what I do, robotics or you know bicycles or or or, 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 or furnishings or, or or whatever you want. Go to any of these sites, Kickstarter or Etsy, and you'll see it at play. And then you can start to see that some of those, some of those entrepreneurs, some of those innovators, um, actually do have a good idea that really could scale, and they now have the ability to do it. Um, I, I can imagine ten years from now that we will have a, you know, an explosion of um, micro factories and and um, you know startups in the manufacturing space, which brings brings back you know more jobs and a different kind of manufacturing to the U.S. Doing something that we do very well, which is not low-cost labor, but high, high-frequency innovation and web-style collaboration. Well, that's very powerful and very exciting to look forward to. Thanks so much, Chris, for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.